Alright, so, today is July the 17th, we're on Baptist Heritage Lesson 6. Let me repeat myself, up until around 1500, at the end of the Dark Age and at the beginning of the Reformation, there were only two types, or lines of churches, which followed two lines of Bibles. Now honestly, that's the same thing that's happening today. You've only got two lines today, and two types of churches today. Number one, the true line from Antioch. And this line was responsible for establishing churches all throughout Europe, Asia, and the known world. And we already talked about that. Even northern Africa. I mean, every, they, the gospel just scattered. Even got up to England and to Wales. And we saw that. And they started churches that believed the Bible and lived by its teachings. The Bibles that these churches used were written in Kone Greek which was the common language of the day, and then translated into various other languages as the church grew and they went into more countries. Okay, So there's kind of a break from about uh, the time of the apostles up, up into the Reformation as you know what Bibles were there. And basically we do not have any full copies of, of many of these Bibles. They were mostly handwritten. They were used. They were worn out. Or they were destroyed. Okay? And then number two, we have a false line that started in Alexandria, Egypt by men that took the Bible from Antioch and changed it because they didn't like what it said. Okay? Uh, this line then moved from Alexandria, Egypt up to Rome, Italy, and it was combined with government, which was the Roman Empire. <coughs> Excuse me. And then forced on the people. <coughs> this group persecuted all who did not join their false church with this unending false teaching. And that's another thing that I've tried to throw out here. You know, that the Catholic Church has just started with a few heresies, and it has just went on and on and on. And they keep coming up with more all the time. Um, this church translated the Bible into Latin, or had it translated into Latin, <laughs> by the, the guys from Origin and the guys from Alexandria. And it, and it was at that point, that particular style of Latin was only the elite could read. And in 540 AD, and they forbid its members, the common man, to even read that. Okay? That's, that's pretty bad. They put it in a language that the common man didn't use, and then they said, even if you have a Bible, you can't. You can't read it, okay? So the beliefs of the two churches are this. The true line is the Bible is the absolute word of God and you have a handout, authority. And that's the key issue, is the authority, okay? Why do people use other Bible translations? Because they pick and choose because they're their own authority. No, the Bible is the authority, that's why our guidelines from this church are centered on the Word of God. Nothing outside of that. Uh, they believe salvation only by faith. That's why I told the lady that I, I said, she goes, I'm a good person, I do good works. And I said, but the Bible says salvation is by faith. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I, that's probably the only good thing I got her because at, at that point I could kind of see she was just waning away. Uh, they believed that re they rejected infant baptism. They were pre-millennial. Now, I threw another one in there. 
And there are some church fathers and there are some early pieces of, of the Bibles that we do have from this period that you could go back and, and make a case against this. Because premillennial is another big deal in the church. Okay, So premillennial just means that Christ is coming back before the millennium. And as Baptists, we go, well, what are you talking about? Doesn't everybody believe that? No. No, they don't. Remember we talked about the, the, the other non-believing group thought that Christ would be back by 1000 AD, but only if they got rid of all the heretics. Well, that just gave them excuse. That was their excuse to exterminate the Bible believers. We've got to get, we've got to get everybody on the same page where Christ isn't coming back. And there are still people that believe that today. We're going to get better and better. We'll look around. We're not getting better and better, are we? We're getting worse and worse. Uh, the true line believed in eternal security, and they believed in separation of church and state. Then we have the false line. The false line believed in baptism for salvation. They still do. They still do. That's why, that, like I said, talking with this lady, the Catholic Church wanted this lady's baptisms records. Uh, our daughter, I just it just popped in my head several years ago. She had a friend that went to a, a legacy church up in Overland Park. Her friend went to right, and um, it's a church, and she wanted, and they were friends, and so she wanted our daughter to go with them on a camp or something, wasn't it? And so we got the papers to fill out for the parents to fill out a release form so you could go on this camp. And in this, they wanted the information. And in this information, they wanted to know when our daughter was baptized. And I go, now, wait a minute. That's a little strange. You're inviting a friend to come to a church camp and you want to know when she was baptized. And then it's dawned on me. Oh, these people believe in baptism for salvation mm-hmm. okay so how old, was she at the time? how old was she probably 14 15 in that maybe around seventh grade yeah mm. she wasn't seven. driving yet so maybe even a little bit before that but yeah so i think carrie put on there she got saved on this date mm. didn't you Okay, I'd forgot all about that. So, uh, so even today, baptism for salvation, the Old Testament was not true. Wow. It wasn't true. Genesis was just a myth. And this is the one that just blows my mind. Jesus is not God. Okay. So that just, I'm sitting there thinking, was that correct? Yes. And so even today, you have your husband's thinking that Jesus is not, he may be God's son, but he's not God. And then there are some people, and and then they actually, a lot of them believe that, well, he didn't raise from the dead, which we saw always before. And to me, this false line just seems like they're playing church. Mm -hmm. So... um, that's what it seems like. Of course, there's a lot of people, even in good churches, that are playing church. So it's, it's you can play church, I guess, even in a good one or a bad one. So on the back side of that, what I wanted to look at today was Bibles of the True Line, page 2. And just let me throw a few out, because you don't hear about these. We hear about the English translations, but what about 
before 1500 back to the apostles. What Bibles were they using? And you never hear about that, okay? Uh, in fact, can anybody tell me one of the Bibles that was used between the apostles and the Reformation? Well, the Texas Receptus is the line of manuscripts that these belong to. Okay, so let me just throw a few out. You have the Perchetta version that was written in Aramaic. Spell that. P e s h i t t a. The Perchetta version. Now, what I want you to realize is that not only was it written in an Aramaic. The Eastern Church of Syria and that region in the Middle East, the Christians in that area, they say that this was what the originals were written in, and everything else, everybody else says, no, it was written in Greek. So I'd have to do a little more digging into it. But the point is, they're so close, it's hard to tell which one was first and second. The people there say that the Perchetta was, was what the original uh, New Testament was written in, where everybody else, the Western side says it's the Greek. And it's probably pretty tight in there, okay? So the Perchetta version is 150 AD. And I want you to pay attention to the notes on that, or the dates on that, because when we get to the Westcott and Hortz, uh, manifestations of their text that they have, they go back to a version that's probably in the 300s, and their their claim to fame is, well, we've got we've got a Bible version, the Sidiat, I'm pronouncing that wrong, the Codex Manuscripts, the Vaticanus, and the Sinaiticus. Those two versions are 300s, and but their claim to fame is, oh, we have a full one that's in the 300s. And this one is older than the ones that you have, so ours is the more to the original. Well, if you go back and look at some of these, they're before that. So it breaks their article, their, their, uh, what they're saying completely apart. Uh, so we have the Perchetta version of 150 AD, the Italic Bible of 157 AD. Now the Italic Bible, so you look at that word and think, well, there's two, there's two things that could be. Uh, what, where do you think that name came from? Italic. Italy, okay. So you're thinking Italy and then italics. That's the two options you have. And so when I'm looking online trying to find some details, that was the two options I got too. All the, why does your Bible have italics in it? And then there wasn't very much about the Italian part of it. But when you go back and look at it, this was the version that the people from Italy were using right after the time of Paul. Okay. Uh, this Italic Bible, and then there was a Waldensian Bible around 120 AD, and we'll find that Waldensian Bible to a wide group of people that ran all the way from the Apostle Paul all the way to the Reformation. They, they, they didn't know what to call them. They, were, they believed the same beliefs that the Baptists believed, which is what the Waldensians were. They, they basically believe the same thing we do. But both the Italic Bible and the Waldensian Bible are from around 100 A.D. and up. And they were written in Old Latin. So apparently there's different types of Latin. It's a different Latin than what the, 
Jerome's Latin Vulgate in the Catholic Bible was in, that was a more elite Latin, but there was a common Latin, which is what these Bibles were written in. Okay. And then you have the Gaelic Bible of 177 AD, the Gothic Bible in 330 AD, and I'll give you a copy of this too if you need it, uh, uh, the Old Syriac Bible, 400 A.D., the Armenian Bible, 400 A.D., the Palestinian Bible, 450 A.D. So we have a lot of older Bibles. Now, we may not have complete copies of all these. A lot of these, we just have p- bits and pieces, okay? Because, again, they were handwritten, they were used, they were worn out, and what copies the other group could get a hold of, they destroyed, Okay? And then the next one I pop up before, um, we've got the French Bible of Oliveton in 1535. Now that made a, uh, kind of came back to me because we had been looking to do some French Bibles here in the Bible Publishing Assembly and we wanted a good Texas Receptus type Bible. So we contacted Bearing Precious Seed and they said, yes, we have a version that's from the Texas Receptus. We got it from a missionary in France, an old missionary, and it is a, um, it's off the, um, what do I want to say, the olive, olive tan branch. And so, but we can't give it to you. And we're like, well, why not? Because we were actually we were going to print some, we had to contact the missionary from Bearing Precious Seeds that they have in France and tell him we're wanting to print some versions of the Bible you have. And he goes, "Great, I do have it on a. Uh, did he have it on a thumb drive? What do you have it on? A disc? Thumb drive. But um, I will only give it to you guys." If you have your pastor write to me on letterhead from his church stating why he wants it and that you will not change one word of it and sign his name and send it to me because he didn't want it changed. He was very, very... So we had to go through all those steps to get that version. It came off this line here, this, this French Bible of Oliveton in 1535. Okay, So even though the King James is 1611, there's still, again, there's still versions in different languages coming up. Okay, um, There is a Greek ortho, Orthodox Bible that the Greek Orthodox Church uses today that's basically off this same text line. And so all of these Bibles here would be in the Texas Receptus manuscripts, which means the received text. This is the the received text from the Bible believers down through history is this group, okay? And so then we, because we always talk about the English Bibles, right? And so we got all these English Bibles, and the first English Bible was Wycliffe. Wycliffe translated the Bible into English in 1382. Now, when was the printing press invented? Anybody tell me? Was it before or after this? I think it was after. Yeah, it's like in the late 1400s. So this Bible was handwritten. It was written by John Wycliffe into the English language, but get this, from the 
from the Latin Vulgate, which was the Catholic Bible. He translated that into English. So it wasn't a good pure line, okay? So Tyndale comes along in 1532, some 150 years later, uh, and he wanted a Bible to be translated for the common man to have because that's what the church uh, of England, and the, well, the church of England probably hadn't got there yet, but that's, that's what the Catholic church was trying to avoid. They didn't want the common man to have the Bible, okay? So he translated from Greek into English in 1532. Uh, but the Catholic church didn't like what he did, so 75 years after he died, they dug his body up and burned it and threw it in the river. I bet. I wonder how many. I wonder if that hurt. Yeah, he's already in heaven and didn't, didn't know it. So, uh, but again, he he translated the Bible uh, from Greek to English, and then we have the Coverdale Bible, fifteen thirty seven, and this Bible was dedicated to King Henry the Eighth. Remember Henry the Eighth, the one with all the wives. And so you got to remember, there's a lot of things going on in England in this time period. Number one, the language is changing. The kings were changing, like our presidents. And you'd get a, a king in, and he would be, he would be, uh, everything would be cool with the Bible believers. And then you'd get a king in, and he'd persecute the Bible believers. And then it would flip again. And then again, you got um, uh, so things was always changing. It seems at this point, language was changing. Um, and then the Matthew Bibles in fifteen, or the Matthews Bible, fifteen thirty-seven. It was basically just a continuation of Coverdale's. And the guy that wrote Matthew's Bible, his name or translated, his name was John Rogers. So he had to use he used a fake name because he didn't want him hunting him down and killing him. But too bad, Bloody Mary got in, and guess what she did? She hunted him down, found him, and had him killed. So. Um, that's what happened to him. Then you have the Coverdale's Great Bible of 1539. So there's, there's a lot of people translating at that time period. Okay, in England anyway. So Coverdale's Great Bible was basically from Matthews. It was um, delegated by Thomas Cromwell, which was one, a high up official in the court. You'll hear his name a lot. And it was a big Bible. It was a huge Bible. It's like these family Bibles that you see. And Thomas Cromwell got the king to pronounce, to put one of these Bibles in all the churches in England. So that was a big deal. And so they took this big Bible and they brought it to the pulpit of the churches and they chained it to the church. So you had to come to church. To hear it taught. Okay. Kind of like that lady, the young girl, she had to go somewhere else to read the Bible to a friend or to that lady's house or whatever. So everybody didn't have a copy to bring home with them. And so after the Coverdale's Great Bible, you got the Geneva Bible, which is in 1560. It was a very good Bible, but it had a lot of notes in it. It had a lot of John Calvin's notes in it, and the King of England hated it because he's the authority, not the Bible. And Calvin was throwing all these notes in. And so when uh, James I came in, he goes, we need a new Bible that's up to date, translated in the correct languages without any notes. 
<laughs> okay, because he didn't like those notes that downplayed his role as king. Okay, and so um, and then when he trans, they, a group came in in 1611 and translated the King James Bible. Now you can, there's all kinds of details about that. There was like 47 men. They were broken down into sections, and it was a complicated process. And these men were the learned men of the time. And I, I asked, I asked uh, a pastor that we all know. Uh, one time, I, why did God use men out of the Reformation instead of Bible-believing men like the Waldensians to translate the Bible into English? Because I thought, well, doesn't that make sense? Why would you use Reformers instead of guys that have always been Bible believers to do that? I didn't get a good answer. I, I don't even know if he gave me an answer, but the only thing that dawned on me was God had to get some learned scholars in order to translate the languages. So these men that translated the King James were the smartest men of the time. These men could, could read and write seven, eight, ten languages. They were learned scholars where the average Bible believer guy was just the common man, probably didn't have the education. So God had to use men that could study the languages, and the, the key was what Bibles were they using to translate to, and what line did they use. And if we go back and look at the King James, they followed the same line. They, they didn't go back to the other line and pull their notes and translate from them, like Wycliffe did. They went back to all the, the uh, Textus Receptus line, pulled those Bibles out to translate what they needed. Okay, So then we have a false line. We have uh, the earliest one is the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, or however you pronounce that. They're from the 300s, so mid-300s. So their line that we're the oldest doesn't match up because you got the you got the Pachetta, you got the Italic, you got the Waldensian, the Gallic Bibles, all before that. Okay? Um, then you had Jerome's Latin Vulgate, which came out of the group out of Egypt, which Jerome translated from their notes in 540 A.D. And then the next thing you see, and that was the Bible all through the Dark Ages. And then we got up to the Dewey Rames Bible, which is the standard Roman Catholic Bible of 1582. What's it called? Dewey Rames, D-O-U-H-A-Y. Dash R H E M E S of fifteen eighty two, and then the next one that comes along is the American Standard Version of nineteen o one. Okay, and I'll give you the sheet too if you want it, Roger. Um, then you have the Revised Standard Version of nineteen fifty two, the New World Translation of nineteen sixty, and then just let me throw some out here. The New English Bible of 1961, the New American Standard Version of 1963, the Living Bible of 1966, the Good News Bible of 1966, the New International Bible, which is the NIV, 1978, and the New King's Bible of 1982 are all in that false line. Now what the New King James will do, even though it's pretty well off of the Textus Receptus, it'll put notes in there that goes to the other line. They'll put a note or a footnote at the bottom which will give you the reading of a false line Bible and they do that, why? 
for no other reason than mess you up with your Bible. Okay? Because you look at the nineteen, you look at the King, New King James, and you think it's pretty good. But you know what? How many errors do they have to have in your Bible for it to be not good? Do you want, do you want notes in your Bible that refer back to the false line? See how sneaky they are? They go, oh no, this is the right one. Well, how come you've got these notes in here, these footnotes that reply back to the false line Bible then? Okay. All right, so that's that's where we are with those. And yeah, and Roger, I can give you this, or I'll give you a new copy. I can email you one. Okay. So we had a question, and we were running out of time. I had a question last week, but those who have abandoned the KJV but are still very much serving the Lord in other churches. Okay. I think the the key to that question is those people that are serving the Lord in churches that are non-KJV. Okay. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm like, I had this big long spiel I was going to go through, and I'm, I can't, I can't do that because we're going to just bring it right back to the Bible. Okay, so turn over in your Bible to Revelation chapter three, and you can probably tell where I'm going. We're going to go right back to the Laodicean church. Okay, Revelation three, verse fourteen says. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Notice it says works there. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. That's what this church is saying. That sounds like us, doesn't it? No. No. <laughs> we need a lot of things around this place. Okay. Have you ever wondered, you, you drive down the road and you see this church and it just looks like there's, they got more money than they know what to do with? They probably do. And you drive by a poor little Baptist church and it's like, I don't, those people ain't got enough money to open the window up and you know, uh, it just seems the way. But you know what? God always uses the small, the the faithful. Okay, uh, because and He says, because thou sayest that I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, by jealous therefore be jealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him, and he with me. And to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down upon my father and his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Okay, so let's go back to the Laodicean church here. They are lukewarm. They are all hooked up on works, but they have no zeal for Christ. They have a form of godliness, which we ta- I talked about last week in 2 Timothy 3.5. They have a form of godliness. They look like they're doing good. And here's what they tell Christ. They say they think that they're rich, that they're increased with goods, and they have need of nothing. That's all 
physical things. Okay? And Christ says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, blind, and naked. It's more of a spiritual side of things. Okay? So let's look at this. He says, to buy gold tried in the fire. So he goes, you need to buy of me some gold so that you'll be rich. Okay? So when he says gold tried in the fire, turn over in your Bible to 1 Peter 1, chapter 1. Let's hope I got the right reference here. And verse 7. 1 Peter 1, 7. 1 Peter 1, 7 says, "...that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ." This verse likens our faith to gold. Okay? And so he says, you need to buy gold of me. It's a reference to, you guys don't have any faith. Or you have small faith. Okay? And then he talks about, back in chapter 3 of Revelation, he says, not only do you need to be, buy of me some gold, your faith needs to be, to be reworked on. He says that... Uh, you need to buy me white raiment to be clothed. He goes, you, you, need, you need to buy of me some righteousness here. Okay? And then, um, it, it, he talks about to take away our shame and some eye salve in order to see. Okay? So, he basically says, this church has, has little faith, it has little righteousness, and it cannot see. It can't discern. This group can't discern. Do you ever wonder why some Christians just seem they can't, can't figure out what's going on about something? Why not? They can't discern the truth. He's, that's what he's telling this church here. He says you're not, and, and watching has something to do with it. Turn over to Revelation sixteen fifteen. We're already there. Revelation sixteen fifteen. He says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So there is a connection between our faith, our righteousness, our, our watching, and our discernment. Now, I don't understand all that, but I know they're all going together, okay? So he goes, he's basically saying that, guys, you have no faith, you have no righteousness, you're not watching, and you have no discernment. You have no power, basically, okay? So he tells them to repent and open the door, okay? So that's what he tells this church. So we live in the Laodicean church age. There are a lot of churches out there that seem to be doing well. Seem they seem to be doing well. And I, was, I had this big thing all wrote up about these churches and they're, just, they're basically mega churches and they're making campuses. They're putting places all over town and I could give you all kinds of examples. I went on one of their websites and we all know this church. And I, I was looking at what they did. And you know what? Everything I saw they were doing seemed very good. 
we're going to reach we're, we're reaching the inner city we're reaching this group we're reaching that group we want to do this we want to have small groups we want to do this I didn't see anything with with uh, missions afar off nothing I thought so everything's in house okay uh, there's a church up up the street from me called core Methodist Church of the Resurrection, largest one I think probably in the country. They have all these programs they're doing. They they look like they're doing well. They look like it. Yes. You remember? You probably remember Oral, Oral Roberts, mm-hmm. right? Do you remember when he locked himself in the tower? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he needed money. Mm-hmm. He was he, he locked himself in the tower. And if he didn't give him money, God was, God gonna, was kill going to kill him. And there was. The greatest editorial cartoon in the Kansas City Star that came out. They had one. On. Okay. It had a little little cartoon picture on the back page of the editorial section with the tower, if you've ever been down there, or the campus. And you can see Oral Roberts in there. And then coming down out of this cloud above the tower was a giant hand with a great big gun. <laughs> holding it to his head. Okay. <laughs> I want my money. <laughs> I want my money. Yeah, like God needs the money, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, again, and so he tells this church, he says, you need to repent and open the door. And yet we also know not only who's the door. Jesus, Jesus is the door also, mm-hmm. right? So they have a form of godliness, but they're out of Christ's plan. Mm-hmm. And so... To answer the question, things that appear a certain way may not always be what they are. So I don't know if that helps you out or not. But if just let me wrap up with just a couple more things here. If you don't have God's complete word, how do you have his complete power? Okay, you're not hitting on all eight cylinders, four cylinders, or six, or whatever you know you have. Um, a a watered down word of God. It's going to produce what? A watered-down Christian. Okay. Appearance can be deceiving. You can still believe the gospel, though, right? Yes. If it's a true gospel. Uh, Right. 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 And again, at one time in my life, I would talk. I would. I would basically say that there are two types of Bibles: God's Bible and Satan's Bible. I've kind of switched my approach to that. There are two types of Bibles, God's Bible and then God's altered Bible by Satan. I'll say that. Uh, basically, it's a watered-down Bible. Okay. Can you do good things with a watered-down Bible? Yeah. Can you get saved with a watered-down Bible? Can, 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 can you take a, a Catholic, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm picking on... Catholics again. Can you take a Catholic and use their RSV Bible to lead them to Christ? The answer is yes. It is yes. And again, Catholic people are 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 just duped because I don't know why they don't look at the truth, but they just have this mentality that as long as I go to church and let 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 the people there. Uh, you know, run my spiritual life for me, then I'm gonna be okay. They, they just they, they just don't realize they need a personal relationship with Christ. How 
That's true. And that's so hard to get through. I, I, and, and an example of that is when I was at the uh, detention center in Olathe, there was a, a, a kid there, and he, he Chinese descent. His parents were Buddhist. And this guy had done something pretty bad to get in there. And we worked, and after several weeks, we were like, do you have the gospel? He goes, I understand, I need to get saved, but he goes, I don't want to tell my parents I, I accepted Christ. I can't do that. Well, that went on for about a month till he finally, I think the Holy Spirit just had enough with him, or showed him enough, and he finally broke down and accepted Christ as his Savior. And he was a great witness, but he, he, he knew he needed to get saved, but he wouldn't do it because his parents were Buddhists. But see, in the Catholic group, it's a little different because you're kind of, well, Catholics are Christians too, so what do you, you know, there's that intermix in there with that. And so if they, if they would just look at some truth and look at some facts, but most of the time they're like, well, if it was good enough for Grandma, it was good enough for me. It's the same reason you drive a Ford. It could be, could be, yes. So, so, so what I, I, I don't understand. So people may, may they leave churches because they get hacked off with something the preacher said. They get hacked off with what somebody else said. They, they find a place that has more comfortable pews. I've heard that before. They didn't like the color of the carpet. Uh, it was a bigger location. It was closer to... I mean, all these excuses, right? Um, and maybe you got a good excuse. I don't know. But here's my point. And maybe you can go to another church and fit in and teach and do everything else. But are you... Where is that what God wanted for your life? We were talking about our kids. And we want certain things for our kids. And yet they do their own, Right? And so the the question I have follows families instead of following Christ. Yeah, follow the family. Unless you're divergent, like my wife and I. You ever watch that movie Divergent? No. Oh, you need to watch that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you don't go along with the the flow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my my question is to the people that that do do that and leave a King James Bible after they've seen the truth to go to a church that preaches a Bible that's not King James. My question is, how are they going to stand before Christ and give an account of why they left His true word to follow a watered-down word? That's it. I don't understand that either. So I don't know what their excuse will be. Will their excuse be the same thing they tell us? Well, it's just too hard to read. I don't understand it. I don't like the thous and the these. Yeah, I mean, are we going to tell that to Christ if you already know the truth? Um, I don't know how you're going to do that. What would be the excuse for using a Bible from a corrupt line when God has given you one of of the true line? That's what I kind of worry about and wonder. But yeah, you can you can go to another church and start teaching. And, and believe me, Baptist churches are great. You show up, most of them will let you teach if you want. And maybe you can get a position. Maybe you can be doing things. Maybe you're doing things right, but there's there's got to be a decrease in power because 
Christ wants us to have his true word. So let's pray that and we'll we'll move on. Father in heaven, we thank you for loveness. We thank you for your word, Lord. And and Lord, I don't think we're we're lifted up because we have your word. We need to be uh, very uh, basically... conscious that we do have your word and that we're going to be held accountable because we have your word. So I pray that uh, we would be accountable to you and that we would do our best effort to be a witness for you because we do have the truth, Lord, and help us to see other people as as not not necessarily you know, apart from our group, but help us just just to preach uh, Jesus to them, Lord, and help us to love people and help us to to preach the true word that we have. So I ask your blessing upon that and the people in in this class, and I pray that we would just be a witness for you in in our ability. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have a question for you, and it's not, it's a, not anything. It's a tile issue? (laughs) Okay. Do you remember uh, 